This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Coming up next, it's Studemonia, discussion and stories about living well in New Zealand from international students across Canterbury. Supported by the Ministry of Education. Hello and welcome to Studemonia. My name is Thomas and I am part of the University of Canterbury Postgraduate Student Association. We have the lovely Bee with us today. Hello. Wonderful. Now, we are going to get to know Bee before one of her favourite songs plays. So, Bee, tell us, uh, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Um, hello. So, I'm Bee, short for Beatrice. Um, I'm 23 and I'm currently doing my Master's in Law. So, my background um, has been a law degree and also an arts degree in political science and economics. So, very full on. Um, I grew up in Whangarei, so I've always been by the beach. I just love being by the water and in nature and just enjoying all the sweet things of life. <laughs> oh, wonderful. And when did you uh, choose to move to Christchurch? I chose to move to Christchurch in uh, my first year here was 2016. So it's been this is my sixth year, I think. I can't believe how quickly it's all gone. There are so many places you could, could have moved to. Why did you choose yeah. Christchurch? I just like... Because in Whangarei, Christchurch isn't, like UC, I should say, isn't advertised very well. Um, And one day a friend was like, have you ever heard of UC? And I was like, actually, I haven't. And I just Googled and um, found I could get a pretty good scholarship. And my parents and I came down and I just felt really at home at the UC campus. And it just felt, felt right for me to be coming here. So I guess that's how I decided. Nowhere, none of the other universities like overly appealed to me. I was always like, ugh, what hall will I live in? You know, like these don't feel like home. So Yeah, I guess um, it must be a bit uh, interesting to switch islands. Yeah, especially because like Whangarei is such a niche place to fly to. Like if I fly home, I always have to catch two flights. And I feel like that's the only place in New Zealand you have to catch two flights. Yeah, absolutely. To get there. <laughs> this is, um, I'm not too sure about where this is. I'm, I'm not from New Zealand. I moved here last yes, last yes, year. Yes, yes. So where is Whangarei? Um, Whangarei is a couple hours north of Auckland. So, yeah, yeah. So it's like the Northland, mm-hmm, Northland mm-hmm. region. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Is, so. that, that, is that near Paihia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paihia is like an hour north. Of Whangarei. Oh, lovely. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. So that's why I just am so obsessed with the beaches and the warmth, I must say. Mm-hmm. I'm moving back to the North Island next year and I'm quite excited. This is my last Christchurch winter. Oh, no. <laughs> See, I find Christchurch winters to be obviously very, very chilly, but there's this nice feeling with them, you know. You can kind of hibernate with everyone yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is definitely like a freshness. I love I love the days where it's just like clear blue sky and the sun's out, you know, like you're all rugged up. And <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, but I love the days where it's just raining for 24 yeah. hours. So you can just kind <laughs> of sit, sit in with a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so um, you did your undergrad at UC as well. Yes. Or your undergrads, I should yes, say, because you yeah. have a double degree. <laughs> Um, yeah, what did you study? Um, so I did um, a Bachelor of Law and then a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and Economics. 
very hefty. Yeah. Very impressive. Yeah. I I went into uni doing my arts um, degree in art history and something else. And I sort of took my first few papers and was like, oh, I'm not quite feeling this. And I've always been like super interested in politics growing up. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make the switch to political science and economics. And I absolutely loved, um, loved studying them. I'm glad that you made the switch. I mean, I feel like some people, they kind of just see their undergraduate degrees through and then yeah. kind of realise, oh, I didn't really like that too much. Yeah, I feel really lucky to have kind of been, like, raised by my parents and they're very much put an emphasis on, like, you have to really enjoy what you're doing. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? And, well, not what's the point in doing it, but mm. if you don't enjoy what you're doing, it makes life a bit harder. Absolutely. I feel like... Choosing a degree is very tricky because you often do that when you're so young. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember when I was, you know, 16, 17 and I was given a book full of courses uh, yeah. in the area, in the universities um, where I'm from. And I just thought, okay, I just have to choose this now and this is yeah. kind of just what it what it is. Yeah, I think one thing that I've really, like, learned over the past few years and watching all my friends go through uni and kind of made this realisation last year even with my parents that um, nobody actually ever knows what they're doing. You just kind of have to, you just pick something and just roll with it and just make your decisions as they come and, you know, like... The degree, yes, it's that piece of paper in the education, but it's the experience that you have at uni, the people you meet, how you grow, the critical thinking that you learn, you know? Absolutely. So much yeah. more than just the content of the degree. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And so your postgraduate postgraduate degree has certainly been followed through from your undergrad. Yes. yes. So my, I'm doing a master's in law um, and it's a specific course um, that is in international law and politics. Um, So I think I really love it because it combines both of my undergrad degrees. So I'm specialising in international um, investment law, which is a branch of international economic law. <laughs> um, so within that, you're kind of pulling in, there's quite a bit of political science and like policy and stuff within international law. Um, and obviously also pulling in that economics and also pulling in law as well. So it's a really cool balance of everything that I did as an undergrad. Okay, very multifaceted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably a lot of domains we're going to have to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think we'll have a little break now. And you've chosen a song by a particular band called Lime Cordial. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about why you like them? Oh, they just, as I said before, I'm just such a summer person and I love mm-hmm. being in the sun and the warmth and their songs just kind of give me that feeling whenever I'm listening to them. So even it can be the most... Um, miserable day and mm. I'll still just feel like it's the middle of summer um, I'm so excited as well they're um, touring soon and initially I wasn't able to make their date but COVID um, meant that it had to be postponed and I can make it and I started crying when mm-hmm. I got my ticket because I'm just so excited yeah I'm seeing them as well um, I was obsessed with them when I was traveling before the pandemic and I f- I'm not sure how much you've traveled but if you're kind of binge listening to a, a song or yeah, an album. Yeah, 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 the nostalgia. Yeah, it yeah. really gets tied to the country or the, the place, absolutely. So I'm yeah. very keen to see them as well. Yeah, oh, Perfect. exciting. So this is Popeye Had Spinach by Lime Cordial.
tune i know fantastic oh i can't wait to see them honestly so let's unpack your degree your thesis your research yes um just to remind everyone your postgraduate degree is in um a master's of law and international investment law okay (laughs) it's very wordy yeah a lot of long long words so is your degree is it a taught master's is it a thesis is it kind of a mixture of both research and content Yeah, so my master's is a taught master's, which is 12 months, um, and it's half half coursework and half a dissertation, Mm -hmm. Um, but all of my coursework is research. So I have four research essays of about 7,000 words, and then my dis, um, which is our dissertation, is 15 to 20,000 Wow, that's a lot of words. Yeah, when you like add all of it up, Mm. you're like, oh. (laughs) I feel like it's, yeah, it sounds like a lot of words, but then when you probably get to finishing up with the writing, you probably think, oh, this isn't enough words. Yeah, I need some more. The last essay that I did, I was very much having to condense it down. It's a, the 7,000 word essays is a funny length because it's not quite short enough to do like a brush over, but Mm -hmm. it's not quite long enough that you can get like really, really thorough. Yeah, like definitely. In depth into it. It's almost like it kind of feels illegal to cut out some of the content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have to get very picky. Yeah. So we wanted to talk about international investment law. Yes. So tell us what that is. 
in, uh, so, if you can ex explain it like I'm in primary school. All right. I'll um, try my best. Please stop me and mm -hmm. um, tell me to <laughs> slow down. Because, <laughs> you know, when you just get so passionate about a subject, you can just talk about it for years. Yeah. Um, so international investment law, um, essentially we're looking at a foreign investor um, who is investing into a host state. Mm -hmm. So it's between um, a state and an investor, whether that's a company or a person. Um, and so the law that governs this is um, normally contained within um, a treaty. So mm -hmm. you're looking at your like free trade agreements, bilateral investment treaties. Um, those are just kind of what they're contained in. Um, and the kind of general rules for investment, international investment, is set by ICSID, which is the International Centre for Settlement of International Disputes. Okay, perfect. So yep. what I'm getting here is you've got an investor. Yeah. That could be a person, could be a group or a yep. company. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got a, a host state. Yeah. So that could be New Zealand, yep. for example. Yeah. Let's say this person is someone from um, Japan, yep. for example. Japan and New Zealand will have a treaty, per se? Yeah, yeah. There, there will be... There's kind of like a spaghetti bowl of um, investment treaties mm -hmm. and free trade agreements. There's just so many that kind of overlap with countries and, you know, there's there's something in there that's, mm -hmm. that's guiding it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Interesting. In the most basic way possible. So this sounds infinitely complex. As a, as a as a thing to study, so I'm very impressed. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, so please continue about investment law. Well, I guess like a bit of context into how I got into it because I think it's such a niche niche area. Yes. Um, that I remember the other day, Dad was like, "Who knew when you left high school that six years later you'd be doing international investment law?" You know, like. <laughs> like, who knew? Absolutely. Who, who knew? Like, how mm. do you even get into that? Um, but I guess where my passion for it comes from is, you know, New Zealand is such a um, small and geographically isolated state. We heavily rely on the trade and investment um, from other countries um, to just help us prosper and grow and sustain economically. Um, and so there are kind of some flaws um in international investment law at the moment and I guess I just wanted to study it because you know if there's flaws in that system then that undermines the point of investment law international investment law mm -hmm. which then kind of impacts countries ability to grow and um, sustain themselves economically and prosper because this is a very moving beast right this is very dynamic because laws are changing all the time even countries uh, with the politics thrown in, different yep. leaders want different things with different countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this, uh, I'm wondering about when this topic has kind of touched the media, and I remember the TPP. Yes. Was that a big deal in the international investment sphere? So, so. The, there's an investment chapter in the TPP. Well, it's actually the CPTPP now. Um, and that stands with, for? With um, the Comprehensive, or I actually. <laughs> it's something, something it's Trans-Pacific yeah, Partnership. Yeah, it's, I think the C is the comprehensive and then the P is something else. And it's right. the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. And I remember it was quite frowned upon at the time. Yeah, it was just the way, um, I guess, the thing with international law, um, to just like really 
break it down mm-hmm. is in international law um, that has a hierarchy to domestic law. Mm-hmm. So if you're signed to a treaty mm-hmm. um, and you then breach that treaty um, because of some domestic law. You can't rely on your domestic law. So in a way, you're like giving up some of your sovereignty to be a part of this treaty because that's what is governing you as opposed to your um, your government. Interesting. Yeah. So in a way, it's almost like there are rules that you need to abide by outside of your country. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so that's kind of what caused a bit of the... Um, <laughs> the controversy around it was just some of the, you know, people just didn't like some of the clauses. But they didn't relate to investment, um, just investment per se. You know, mm-hmm. like that's a massive free trade agreement, which encompasses like trade as well as investment mm-hmm. as well as, yeah. Now let's talk about your dissertation. Yes. Um, how far have you gone into it? And have you found any topics that you find interesting to look into? Yes. Well, um, I just recently changed my dissertation topic. <laughs> It happens to all um, of us. It happens. I know. You just get to a point and you're like, oh. No, I um, I was lucky enough to attend a conference in Wellington a few weeks ago um, called Standing in the Future, and it was put on by the New Zealand Institute of International Affairs, and it kind of really reiterated to me why I'm doing my master's and why I love international investment law, and that's because of how it helps countries to grow and prosper. And we're kind of at a point... Um, an inflection point in the world right now with um, the rising power of China and the US kind of withdrawing themselves and turning more nationalist and protectionist, um, which kind of emphasises the need for international investment law more than ever um, for New Zealand. And so I decided to change my topic. So I was initially looking at um, a standard of protection called the Fair and Equitable Treatment, um, which is a very broad clause in um, investment treaties and is the most heavily relied upon because it's so broad. Um, I've now changed it to um, discussing around the lack of transparency in investment disputes. So to kind of break that down, um, ICSID, so the International Centre for Settlement of International Disputes, um, when they kind of set up guidelines around disputes. They were looking at very commercial disputes and not so much this investor state dispute. Um, And so because of that, there was a lack of transparency in the proceedings because obviously the need to keep things confidential Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. you know, like not wanting big trade secrets getting out. Um, And so as a result, international investment laws kind of faced a bit of a... um, legitimacy crisis or um, people say that it lacks democratic principles um, and this kind of comes back to the sovereignty of states so if a investor and a state are in a dispute together and it goes to an arbitration body so the arbitrators um, are the ones that then make the decisions which bind the host state mm-hmm. and so the host state is always going to be the defendant and always the one that's going to be made to pay the investor something or change something in their laws. Mm -hmm. And so the average arbitral award for 2020 was just over $250 million last year. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So if your government is being, and I mean, this isn't, this is something that's not really happening to New Zealand because we're quite a good country to invest in, but you know, this is like other places. Right. Um, So if your country is being forced to pay like 
these huge sums in award like in awards to investors that's really impacting like their budget their taxes you know like it just has such a big flow on effect for their population right and this is the money that could be used on schools and roads yeah right? yeah, yeah yeah i guess in essence um and so because of the lack of transparency you know people can't see what their host states what their host state, what their state is mm-hmm. um, doing and going through. And, you know, so I guess it's just to hold them more accountable as well and to kind of let the people be able to exercise their vote freely. Yeah, because obviously transparency is very important to, yeah. to, pros- to increase the prosperity of nations. Yeah, yeah. And I guess on like the flip side of that, um, some states have kind of changed their laws in response mm-hmm. to it. And that's just a very general, broad statement. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, if a state is changing their laws and the people can't actually, like, see where that's come from or, you know, because the documents aren't there, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's quite a flaw in that. So in... Lovely. Yeah, so in Citro, which is the UN Centre for International Trade, um, had a um, rules for transparency mm-hmm. um, to be applied. So those came out... Oh my gosh, I want to say 2014, but um, I need to fact check. <laughs> Please don't take that for profit. I think it's time for a song. <laughs> Talk I, too much about investment oh, law. It's, it's lovely. Uh, we're just running out of time. And I want to hear about your postgraduate experience yes. and any top tips for other postgrads who might be listening in about how you've been surviving your um, your coursework so far. But first, we've got Seaweed by Hockey Dad. Yes. One of my favourites. Um, take it away. <laughs> Yeah. 
Rocky Dad. They're touring with Ocean Alley yes. in a couple of weeks, I think. Looking yes. forward to that. Now, as the UCSA postgrad rep, uh, obviously you've had some uh, wonderful achievements that you've been putting in place uh, in UC this year. Can you give yes. us a little rundown of what you've done? Yeah, um, it's been a pretty fun and exciting year being in this role. Um, I guess one of the biggest things that I've achieved this year is um, there. Was, so there was this parental leave proposal, which was accepted by um, the postgrad committee. And so from that, um, we're just awaiting the final sign-off for a web page to be uploaded to UC's website on what a postgrad student can do if they fall pregnant, um, and also changes to the um, change to part-time and suspension forms um, as well, so just to make the process a bit easier um, for anyone who, you know, postgrads, you're just at that kind of bit older age, and it's mm-hmm. definitely more normal for that to happen. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, like UC wants to encourage people to, you know, like look after them and if you're having families. Um, and then I've also organised, had a wellness workshop earlier in the year, which was on sort of mental health for postgrads. Um, we've also done some improvements to the living room, which is a postgrad space at UC, which was previously very uninviting, but it's now a little bit more inviting. I certainly don't mind. <laughs> yeah, there's still, nice still some work to do on that one. Um, mm-hmm. And just also I feel like I've just been involved in so many discussions about... Um, postgrads at UC and the um, how the student experience can be mm. improved and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Lovely. Yeah. Well, before we finish up, before we go, I'd love to hear about how you've been able to survive your year of what seems to be a very complex and convoluted uh, <laughs> master's degree. So is there anything that's you know been getting you through? Yeah, um, for me, I really find that yoga is what mm-hmm. kind of pulls me through it. I guess it's just that time that I get to step back and take time for myself and just connect my mind, body and breath. But, you know, I think everyone has their own thing, I think. Um, and that's what's most important is that you can go out there and find something that just makes you, you know, just be in the present moment. Yeah, definitely. And forget yeah. about your worries and essays and <laughs> research. You need the time to kind of forget about those things. Yeah, from from time to time. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for uh, having me. It's been very interesting to hear about what you've been studying. <laughs> Hopefully it all makes sense. Absolutely. Um, lovely. So thank you so much, B. No, thank you. Thank you.